0: We're in James, and before are we recording, do you know if anybody hit the record button? We are. Um, we're in James chapter 2, and we st- started on it last week, but we're going to dig into it, try to get to the end of chapter 2 today, And uh, but before we do, we should pray. Heavenly Father, I do want to come before your throne this morning and just ask that you would guide and direct Uh, everything that happens in this building today, Lord, this is your church, your people that are here, that are coming together, and Lord, we ask that you would be the head of this church specifically, Lord, that you would provide for us, nourish us from your word, that you would direct us, Lord, you would strengthen us. I ask that specifically that you would open up your words and your truth to us as all of scripture speaks of you. I ask that we would not miss seeing you as we look at your word this morning. Uh, I ask again, Father, that you would just be with the times that we have today of, of singing and worshiping and praying, that you would just work through those things that we do, these means of grace, Lord, that we do these things obediently, but we're asking that you would be a present reality in all of them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, James 2, we talked a little bit, and I'm going to put on the back burner, so I talked a little bit last week about the mechanics. I think something that would be interesting to do at some point, and Paul, I'm springing this on you, that I think I'd be interested in teaming, up. like, let's figure out a way to do this. I think a great study that'd be interesting to really hash out, flesh out, would be, what all happens, the moment of Salvation. Like genuine, real. When someone is saved, what, like all the things that ha, there's a, is there's all kinds of stuff that's going on, right? Uh, justified, sanctified, glorified, adopted, regenerated, sealed, born again. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. Um, and I think that'd be a great study because here's the thing. Um. There's, there's different little doctrines that differentiate us from other denominations. One of those is labeled eternal security. Understand that I don't believe in eternal security because I just believe in eternal security. I believe in eternal security because of all these things that happen at the moment of salvation. Someone who has genuinely been saved. It's a, this miraculous, amazing, astounding, marvelous mystery of God's grace. And and to just say that someone can choose to walk away from it, that's missing entirely what even happened to begin with. And and so I think it's a great thing to really dig into what what all happens at that moment of salvation, genuinely, in God's eternal perspective, what happens when someone is saved, is being saved and will be saved. I think it's a great study. But I'm going to take that and put it on the back shelf. Because James is... Being practical. Okay? Now, I've mentioned before, and I want to mention again, that we're not the first group of people, nor will we be the last, that questions James and Paul um, and some of the the challenges that they had with one another. The example I gave you last week, specifically, there's a passage in James where it says, um, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? That's what James says. Paul says, "Was not Abraham our father justified by grace and not by works, by, or by faith not by works?" And then they both quote Genesis fifteen six to support it. And so some have gone, "Oh, the disagreement," um, but we're not the first. Uh, in fact, way way back at the beginning, um, our church fathers. Gonna, I'm going to read a quote from two different church fathers. Um, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Paul, so help me, Chrysostom. Chrysostom, Chrysostom, is that good enough? Okay. Augustine's the other one, unless you. Okay, okay, good. (laughs) Well, that's usually how it goes. I'll say something, then I'll hear Paul say it later, and it's like, "Wow, that sounded way cooler than how I said it. I sounded like a redneck the way I said it." Chrysostom. Let's look at what Chrysostom says. Really? See, I didn't know that. You probably learned that in Palestine, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Well, here, I'm going to read a quote from him, and hopefully I'll not tarnish the golden tongue as I share it. he says, even if someone believes rightly in the Father and the Son as well as the Holy Spirit, if he does not lead the right kind of life, his faith will not benefit him at all as far as his salvation is concerned. So he's hitting on, and this was in, in connection with talking about this James-Paul seeming disagreement. And these early fathers are saying it's not a, they, 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 they perfectly complement each other okay? Um, he says, we, not, we must not think... And the, the, his next sentence here, I was like, oh my word, this could have jumped right out of something from 20 years ago. He says, we must not think that merely uttering the words is enough to save us. Isn't that interesting? That's a battle we face now. People who think, uh, well, if they've said the words, there's... No, no. All right, so... I love it when I run across things like that because it's a reminder of, wow, there's... (laughs) When you got somebody almost 2,000 years ago saying the same things. Augustine, um, actually, this guy here says, uh, Ben Witherton says that uh, Augustine got a little tired of critics. So his first part of his statement about this is kind of rude. (laughs) It says, Augustine got a little tired of critics who simply thought James and Paul were contradicting one another. And he says, so... Augustine, Um, by the way, he starts off by saying Holy Scripture, which is so amazing because already in Augustine's day, they're referring to the writings of Paul and the writings of James as Holy Scripture. It's important. Um, Holy Scripture should not be interpreted in a way that is in complete agreement with those who understand it. Um, I'm sorry. Holy Scripture should be interpreted in a way that is in complete agreement with those who understand it, and not in a way that seems to be inconsistent to those who are least familiar with it. <laughs> in other words, uh, if you're digging into questions like this, let's go to somebody that knows what they're talking about, is what he's saying. Not somebody, which is so true, because you'll have somebody, that, they'll have like read five verses of the Bible, like, well, I think this is what the Bible says. Uh, and it's amazing how often we run across that. But that's Augustine's kind of saying the same thing. Um, he said, Paul said that a, that a man is justified through faith without works of the law, but not without those works of which James speaks. That was good, wasn't it? So again and again, and I have several other ones here that I could read. Uh, He's collected a bunch of uh, different statements from the church fathers that are dealing with this issue. I've mentioned before that even during the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther was one that almost... Ditched it. He may have actually, in his German translation of the New Testament, not included James and Jude, I think, or two that he not, did not include. Obviously, wrongly. So, and I would agree with Augustine. Somebody should not be saying that that's not getting it. Um, and Martin Luther was missing it on this point. Uh, so, let's talk about this then. Uh, I'm going to read through the passage because I want to talk about then how this plays out. Uh, that verse, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers? What, what benefit? What, what's the good if, and then we have this part here, and the, the emphasis, I think, to understand this is someone says he has faith. So the says is important. In fact, it's important because he says, uh, but not have works, this, that is in the original. There's a that faith, and the that faith he's referring to is a faith that says but does not have works. So a faith without works, can that kind of faith... So there's a faith that has works, a faith that doesn't have works. Can the faith that does not have works save? That's the question that James is asking. Okay? All right, so let's, let's read through it, if you would. James 2.14, 2, I'm going to read through it. I'd like it if you could look at your Bibles while I'm reading it. And let's just think through his argumentation. And then I'm, frankly, I'm going to open it up to some discussion. Um, the discussion, by the way, I'll give you a heads up on the discussion. The discussion I want, to, I want to talk about is not theoretical discussion. Let's talk about what are some implications of this. Okay? What are implications? Of, what, what, what are some implications of this? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, the emphasis then is the connection of saying something, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What's the, what's the obvious answer to that question? What good is that? <laughs> right? That's for the good of that right there. Okay, so also, so in the same way that that's no good, so also faith by itself, meaning without works, if it does not have works, is dead. So we can start to establish a, a way that we could talk about expressions of faith is there can be living faith or dead faith. This might be a way that we could use that James is putting before us. There's a living faith, there's a dead faith, right? Someone will say, hold up. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So he puts forth this theoretical statement. You have faith, I have works. And then the, the proposition. Show me your faith apart from your works. Can anybody do that? Can, can anybody show... Show me your faith, but without, no. Do you, you, you see the logical dilemma of saying that you can do that or that that can be? He doesn't say tell me faith. Yes, it's show. show. How can you show it? You can't, you can't apart from, right? Faith is not a visible thing. Apart from, but, but or maybe it is visible in the sense of what it produces, which is an interesting thought to go back to because what does Jesus say when he's talking to Nicodemus about a man being born again? And he uses an illustration. He says, like the wind, you can't see it, but you what do you see? It's effects. So uh, uh, I was telling Paul a little while ago, one of the interesting things that I'd love to dig into in James, um, that Ben Witherington has a whole big section on is the way James sounds so much like Jesus, the way he talks, there's so much of his teachings that just re- is reminiscent of Jesus' teaching, and that may be something we try to dig into. Once we're finished with it, go back and, and do some comparisons to Jesus' teachings to, to James. Yeah. I mean, God can see our faith. He can, yeah. So does this, I mean, this kind of that there's some value in us showing our faith in each other? Okay, so this, this is where it gets super interesting, Okay. All right, this is where, uh, let, let, me, let me pretend like this little wooden platform is things that I understand, and the planet Earth is things I don't understand, okay? <laughs> when, when I get to this, the, 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 the element of how works are demonstrating faith, I, I'm, I'm still on my platform when I think about it in terms of uh, to other people. But I'm going to be very honest with you. There's a lot of elements of this, not just in this one, but in other places. Uh, in fact, going out throughout the Old Testament that talk about how it's also demonstrated to God in these things. The one example I'll give is the one that James gives. Um, God says to Abraham, when Abraham offered his son Isaac upon the altar, what does he say? He says, now I know that you believe me. Well, he knew it already, didn't he? But in some sense, it became apparent to him as well. So there's a no, I think. But see, this is where I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's like the twilight zone. I'm like verging into the, I don't, I mean, let's be honest. Can I understand the mind of God? Not even remotely. How He thinks, how He operates. I'm just—we're on the outskirts of the minds of the mind of God when we talk about these things. But there is a very real way that the Bible talks about that God. And like I said, this is an example that James gives from an Old Testament story of Abraham. Where the reality is he's declared righteous not just before people but also before God he's declared righteous before God in what he's doing now that really boggles my mind I, I don't know what to do with that complete I don't know where to set that I it's like a, somebody gave me something you know and put this away and I'm like, I don't know what shelf to put it on do I put it on you know if I'm I was watching charity store the other day and it's like you know if, if so, you know, I had all kinds of people come, well, what, what is this? I'm like, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> what are you, what are you buying? I don't even know what this is. What is it? I don't know. And they're like, where did you get it from? And they're like, I got it over there. And i like, I didn't even know she sold it. Like, I don't know what to do with this information, but there's, there's elements of, where I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, this, this idea. Sorry. It's true. But <laughs> I, I know. I, there's, I don't know. It's, I don't know. So. I mean, like plastic flowers. Why do those sell? I don't know. I can't figure it out. So these fake flowers. Who's buying? There's so many people buying fake flowers. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm. I'm, I I know why. Why? I don't understand. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, so back, back on, back on topic here. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So. So so back into this, so to answer Mark's question, because I think there's some implications here that I can't answer. okay? Um, the ones that I can are the ones is how it relates, I think, not just for how other people can know, but more importantly, how I can know. So so how can I have assurance of my own salvation? I think also, As a church who's been given the keys to the kingdom and we are to make some declarations about salvation to a degree, though possibly faulty, we're to do this to the best of our ability. This is one of those elements as inspectors of fruit that we are given as as ways to help. I'll give you a for example. If I've got somebody that's coming to me for counsel and they're choosing to live in sin and they choose not to repent, and I'm working with I'm helping, here's what you maybe and they continue to claim, no, I love Jesus, but they're like, but I'm gonna go ahead and live with this person that I shouldn't be living with, or make this I mean d- drastically clear sinful choices. At some point, I have a responsibility to say, I'm concerned about your salvation. That's audacious in our world. Like, how dare you? But if you become a studier of the words of God, you cannot escape these realities. Now, set aside, I've told you before, the way this impacted me personally is it convinced me of whether or not I'd been saved before, I couldn't have confidence in my salvation because I was not living. That's what it convinced me of. Does that make sense? I, maybe I was saved when I was five. I don't know. That's a pretty good kid. <laughs> that was a joke. I wasn't. Um, well, I don't know. I was okay. Was that mom? mom was like, That's a pretty good kid, wasn't I? Well, she's got, bro, she's got love-colored glasses on. Um, I can do no wrong in front of my mommy. Um, but it, it convinced me that unless I was being obedient, not perfect, but being obedient to the, the best of my ability, and, and, and that, what does that look like? That means when, when sin becomes revealed to me, I go, okay, I should repent of that. And I'm trying to repent of it. And when I fail, like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And did, Is your hand up or are you just holding it up because it's throbbing? I, 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 thought, I thought maybe that's what you were doing, but I wanted to check. Um, uh, but at some point, if, if I'm not living it, i got to say maybe, maybe the problem is I'm not. And for me, that's what it did. Maybe that, and so then, as I as I've begun, and so a lot of people then go, well, then how can you know that you know that you know? That's, if you've been in Baptist circles long enough, you've heard that that question before. How can you know that you know that you know? Well, how can you know? You cannot know apart from what you're living out. Um, one of these, one of the fathers, one of these uh, church fathers said. Just as much as faith without works is dead, works without faith is also dead. Um, so someone we are, but we know that argument, don't we? Someone that's that's doing a bunch of righteous things and thinks that's going to get them. To we already know that one's not true, correct? But James is dealing with and battling a different scenario and a different dilemma, right? Okay. So implications. I think some are coming to you. Let me read through the rest of this, and then I'm going to open it up a little bit further. You believe that God is one. That's echoing back to the Shema, right? you guys know what the Shema is, right? There's the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? This Hebrew declar- declaration of who God is. And he says, you do well. That's, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a great foundation. But even the demons believe and shudder. Knowing that there is one God as opposed to no God, being an atheist, or opposed to just, hey, we can't know, being an agnostic, or um, believing in other gods. Um, It's great that if somebody finally comes to this really, yeah, no, there's one God. It's this one God. He's the one God. But if if it doesn't play out as a change of life in the form of repentance, your faith could be described by James as demonic faith. Right, a faith that is not turned to repentance is a demonic faith. A faith, a faith that says, "I know know what he wants." Here, here's a, here's an implication for you. A faith that says, and I heard this this last week, a faith that says, "I know what he wants, but I just don't want to do it," or "I know that this is wrong, but I just am gonna do this anyway." That sort of faith is illustrated perfectly in the lives of demons. I know what he wants, but I'm not going to do it, right? So knowing what is right and knowing what is good and knowing who God is, but choosing to defiantly, I'm, I don't care. And I'm telling you, there's, there's people in our churches today, and maybe even this church that I don't know about, that are saying, you know, I know what God wants, but I'm just not going to do it. And I don't care. I'll do it as long as I want to do it. Right? It's demonic. It's demonic faith. Yeah. Oh, no, that's okay. Okay, only question. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Ouch, James. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And that's what I was referring to. So then he goes back to this illustration of Abraham. So when Abraham was then called, he'd already been told the promise. We already know earlier in James, or Genesis 15 that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness that Paul talks about. That's justification by faith alone. But then James says, but then notice this other thing that happened later. Like uh, Genesis 22, I think, is where it happens, where he goes, he goes and he takes his son Isaac, he goes up to the altar, he lifts the thing, God's, God stops him, right? The angel comes out. And what, what's God say? He says, Now I know that you believe me, right? Um, this is what James is referring back. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed, brought to fulfillment by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled, that says, right? So this is really mind blowing. So then he's saying, the scripture was fulfilled that says, so the justification that Paul is emphasizing that you were declared righteous in God's eyes, that gets fleshed out in your actual life. And James says, that justification was fulfilled by justifying him, making Abram righteous and obedient. Abraham believed God. It was fulfilled to say that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified, declared righteous by works and not by faith alone. Not in the sense that uh, the faith isn't what is saving, but in the sense that a faith that is alone isn't really faith is what James is trying to say, right? Um, And in the same way, so he gives one more illustration. Same way it was not also Rahab the prostitute justified. Wow, what an example. That's, uh, we're trying to pick some good examples here. Oh, I got a really good one of faith. Let's talk about this prostitute. <laughs> right? But, but, what, but then notice what he says. Justified works. When she received it. So when she got the message, and she knew so little of the message, just that God was coming in to judge sin. Right? That's all she knew. She believes the message, and in an act of faith, hangs, the, what is she, hangs something out a window to identify herself with the conquering group, believing that God would save her from judgment. Had she had any opportunity to do anything to turn her life around? No. What a great illustration of faith, actually. James, you blew my mind again, James. Wow. Illustrating faith with prostitutes. I never thought of doing that, James. Um, and in the same way, he was not also a, Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right. So now, implications. Let, let's just... I, I, it's always nerve-wracking to go with, just open it up completely, but let's do it. Let's just do it and see what happens. Implications. Yeah.
1: So for me, one of the things, so you, you, hear this, you hear this bold statement of faith about works is that works have a, so, such a significant piece in the salvation process, um, but it's also interesting to point out the same examples that it gives works also. Hmm. Because if you look at the life of Abraham, you also have remarkable acts
0: of lack of faith Yes. in the way that he treated Sarah, mm-hmm. and, you know, multiple times in not trusting God or not having faith in God. Yeah, had. between those two events, yeah. right? And then you look at you look at Rahab, the harlot. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And to me my mind goes to, you know, Hebrews eleven and the the hall of fame of faith people. Yeah. And you have to me the one that notably sticks out is Samson mm. because he's tainted by like titillating stories of his remarkable unfaithfulness to God. Mm-hmm. Although there's forty years of faithful judging in between the in between the, the lines of the story yeah. that we get. But he's marked as faithful because he, he trusted in in his power that he knew came from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a there's a a blessing to like the, the fact that yes, works the remarkable works along with faith is what noticeably marks you as a Christian, but it doesn't, at the same time, it doesn't that's the word I'm trying to, but it doesn't like condemn you when you
2: fail mm-hmm. either. Yeah. Well, I think what I was going to say is say the same thing just differently because you had said, "I think this is important for our assurance, mm-hmm. right?" Because I can look, I need to look at my own life and see, how I see acts of acts of faith, right? Mm-hmm. I think the key thing that I picked up though that you were saying. It's not looking at whether I have sinned. Mm-hmm. It's looking at, do I have a heart that says I know what to do, God? I know what you're saying, but I I know what he says, but
3: do I have any of those in my life? Mm-hmm. If I am refusing,
2: it's it's attitude of I refuse to do what I know he says to do, or I refuse to not do what I said no, what he says to do. Mm-hmm. Positively, either way. If I have an attitude that says I'm not going to do this, God, but I'm still going to try and trust you, Jesus, for whatever. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is where the it should be a wake-up call to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Will not be that will destroy um, Before I take yours, um, I want to throw out there, in, in connection with this, I know that <clears throat> one of the challenging things about this text is um, you will always have people who are very sensitive to the word in such a way to where these passages feel very condemning, and no matter how much progress is made, they hear something like this, and they're like, "Oh, I'm probably not saved." Um, And so, I'll give you an illustration, I think, that may be helpful. Um, I've gotten into the habit of popping my own popcorn with a pan on the stovetop. Now, if I've got the oil in there, and I've got kernels in there, and I've got heat underneath, um, I'm sitting there, and I'm, you know, at first, sometimes it doesn't seem like anything's going to happen. And you're just sitting there, and it's getting hot, and you're like, it's... the question then: Are these dud kernels, right? Or do, now, obviously, with a gas stove, you can tell that it's on. But like, how do I know the heat is there? How do I know the heat's there? How do I know the heat's hot enough? How do I know the oils? How do I know these things? I can't look inside the pan. I could, but you know, for my illustration. Um, but then, but then, what if if the heat is there, and the oil is there, and those really are popcorn kernels? What starts to happen? And it's, it, it, in fact, usually what I usually do is I'll, I'll throw like five kernels in there. I don't put them all in there right at first. I put like five in there and I wait for the first, those five to pop before I put the, the whole scoop in there because that way I know the oil is nice and hot. But it's interesting. It, you, you sit there and you put them in and it's like, you only have one that pops right away. Okay, is it going to go? And you're like shaking it a little bit. And eventually it starts to, but then what starts to happen quite, if you, once you have all those kernels in there, and then it starts, right? I think sometimes that's how it plays out in a, a Christian's life. Not obviously this illustration is going to fall apart immediately as soon as I lay it out there, but I think there's some element of truth just to the idea that if there's heat and those really are popcorn kern- kernels, there's things you ought to see happening. I may not I may see a bunch of them happening at once. I may see like, you know, but there there's things you're looking for. And this is kind of the better approach to take in the Christian walk is to say these, these passages are not meant to be condemning except to the one who goes, no, Lord, I am not doing what you say. I know what you want. I'm not doing I don't care. That's the ones that is, this is aimed at working in their hearts to bring them to repentance. Um, and so I always want to throw in there. I want to be an encouragement. If you're, if you're sitting there, this is not meant to be for the one that's, I mean, you're, you're going to sin until the day you die. Get used to it in one sense. In the other sense, just start killing it. Kill it and kill it and kill it and kill it till the day you die. Kill the flesh until the day you die. Just keep at it. Keep working at it. That act of fighting sin in your life, that is one of the biggest popcorn kernels you can get. Yeah, that's, that is. That, you fighting sin... Is, is one of the best demonstrations of faith because you're, you're saying my flesh wants to do this, but Jesus says this, and I'm gonna do everything I can to try to do this in spite of my flesh, all of my flesh wants. I'm gonna say, no, flesh. All right, yeah, you had something, or did I steal your thunder? You no, know, I mean, I, it, when
3: we talk about this and you're talking about implications, like it just, it takes me back further than 20 years mm-hmm. because I know we're talking about what I'm doing. Am I exhibiting but there's an implication, I think, just being raised in the church I was and taught the way I was, like 40 years ago. You know, there is that word, um, backslip. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. So stay with me. Okay. That's what with what we're about. Okay, I believe you. Yeah, but no. So you would have a person that would pray the prayer. Mm. Hmm. And then, then they come back and it's all good. But there, I think there's an implication with this that when we say that we can have faith without works, we're not just saying something about our surrender.
0: We're saying something about the work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. Yeah. Yes. We, yeah, we've, this something we've talked about a lot, that's right? An implication, that there, that's dangerous to say. Mm-hmm. Because
3: Mm-hmm. The fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. spirit. I mean, just that phraseology. Yeah. That when the spirit is implanted in us, it then begins to produce fruit. And so, what are we saying about yeah. people when we say that they've taken on real fruit or a real, real, like spirit, mm-hmm. but then there's no fruits? What are we saying about the spirit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then live like the devil for X
0: amount of years, mm-hmm. and like that's a that's a blasphemous thing to say. about It, it, the spirit. it is. So you see the ring. Yes. In fact, um, I, I'm going to stem off of that one and say this is I think one of the hardest implications is since we've we've a lot of us have grown up in church when you have people who you love that. Whether or not they did it initially or at what point, but you get, they get to some point and they, basically I'm out. We read passages like this and we want to cling to some hope that they're, we're going to see them in heaven, don't we? I get that. I think that a way that this scripture ought to, ought to be used is number one, to motivate us in how we're to pray for people. So if we see someone walking away, I think we need to pull out all the stops and say, like Paul, I'll give you an example. Paul the Apostle, with, with people who are obstinately, he prays things that we go, how can you pray? Them? Paul, how can you? Well, I think he's got his eyes really wide open is how he's able to pray things like this. He'll say things that sound crazy. Like he'll say, i want to hand them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What? Well, why, how could he say that? With the rest of the, for the saving of the soul. Right? Like that, this person's flesh is getting in the way of them seeing Jesus, and I want, if it even takes Satan coming in and demolishing their life, let it be that they might see the magnificence of Jesus and be saved on the last day. Right? That's hard. But don't, don't my, my one thought is, I, I know that when we talk about these things, it's easy to start going, what about my, my child, my brother, my parent, my, and we got these people that we know that they knew this Christianity thing. Maybe they even went to church for a while, but then they're, they're just, they're out doing whatever they want. At some point, we may want to adopt Paul the Apostle's methodology for their salvation, Paul the Apostle's methodology wasn't make them feel okay, right? In fact, I would argue that making them feel okay in their sin may be one of the worst things you can do. You being accepting of their sin could be one of the worst things you can do for them because, because if you're standing on God's behalf, speaking, you may be the only person speaking to that person's life about who God is, and you go, but I want to show them love. I get it. <laughs> but what does that mean? Is it not loving to say, these are damning behaviors? Right? And if you just accept it blanket as if nothing is wrong, you could be doing one of the worst things for that person. Does that make sense? Um, uh, I mentioned last week, because this ties in with the sermon from last week, at, it gets, this is where it gets really hard, I, and I, I, I hesitate talking about it sometimes because every situation has some slight variances of how, we, how am I actually to do that? So can I have them into my home? Can I, what, what does this look like? There's a lot of things, what, how, how do I play it out? I, I'd be willing to, to help you think through that, but I'm not going to say I'm the expert in knowing how to do it, um, but I think that we ought to at least say, God, at least in some way, one of the implications of this is to say, Lord, I'm going to at least in my prayer life, I'm going to start with that. Their behavior is a clue, right? Get up my book of clues, right? Blue's Clues. Okay. This is a clue that this person is not a Christian. And I'm going to begin to pray that way. Not that they would get a better job. Not that they would get their life on track. Not that they would get these problems worked out. Not that they would... But Lord, maybe all those things are things that you're doing to save them. And Lord, help me to be strong. And Lord, if you need to wipe their life out completely for the saving of their soul, Lord, let it be. Let it be. Right? I think that's an implication of this that's that's hard, but I think it's one that we ought to adopt of saying, at least, at least, Lord, let me pray this way. Right? I'm I'm concerned for the I hope they are. Is it possible for someone to be genuinely saved and have some times? I think so, maybe. That could happen. But the longer that time goes, the more we ought to start saying, this is my concern, Lord, please save. Please save. Please save them. And if it means the destruction of everything in their life, then let it be, because I want to see them on that final day. Right? Any other implications? I'm so sorry, because I'm looking around, and I see like five people that are getting teary on me right now, and I know that these are hard things. Yes? Yes?
3: Absence,
0: work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah? Yeah. It's like right there, like, you're. Yeah. There is. There's a lot of implication in that. Mm
1: hmm.
0: It, it does it's really it's actually super amazing. when you start letting scripture interpret scripture, the Bible' is just amazing like it never it's not failed me yet it It stands up under the toughest of scrutiny and and we find that they complement and James and Paul aren't in disagreement they're in perfect harmony, and harmony music people isn't singing the same note, right am I right no. but it's done in such a way that it, it produces something that's more magnificent, right? I think that this is a good example of that, that here Paul's saying these things and James is saying these things, but in the harmonious result, it's, it's a, a big picture of salvation of a soul, right? Any other implications or thoughts because I'm about out of time. Yeah. We talked about the popcorn and I really like the, uh, the visual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't initially want to condemn them or, or start rooting. Or-
2: the stages I went through becoming a Christian, which was like day one, it was like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I know what I want. So let's say a prayer. And then like a year later, or two years later, or five years later, there's this like epic moment where God says to me, if you wouldn't let your children watch it, and you are a child of God, maybe you should get rid of it too.
0: Hmm. And then Melissa and I go through and start just chucking DVDs. like <laughs> <laughs> way back when DVDs were the Yeah. Kids, <laughs> DVDs are these, though. <laughs> And uh, there was a moment when I just, it was too painful for me to go through my music one song at a time.
3: So I just dumped a couple gigs mm-hmm. of, of music off my hard drive into, into the ether into the, Yeah.
2: being in a place where the Holy Spirit would speak to me and I would finally listen, And I'm, I'm trying to watch for that. Instead of seeing fruit or not fruit and saying, oh,
3: buddy, you, mm-hmm. you got a problem. You need a it's like I'm trying to get past what I
2: see, which is, you know, Jesus said, look at the speck in that guy's eye and the log in your eye. I'm trying to get to what the Holy Spirit sees. And what I, where I'm going with this is, it's hard for me to tell when I should step in and say something mm-hmm. or when I should shut my mouth and let God do what God is already doing. And uh, sometimes I don't get my head wrapped around that until hindsight. So yeah. I have some quiet time to think like, maybe yeah, I should have said something or maybe I should have kept my mouth shut. I think the Holy Spirit working on me with that too. But I think about those things. It's like, gosh, when do I step in and when do I step out? Yeah. Recognize that even between my wife and I, I'm the head of my household, but my wife is a child of God directly mm-hmm. communicating with the Holy Spirit. And there's some things that the Holy Spirit communicates to her directly, and there's some things that the Holy Spirit communicates to her through me as the pastor of my household. And mm-hmm. Even then, it's like shut my mouth or open my mouth. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to close with this this little thought because I, it's it's time. Um, I appreciate what you said. In fact, uh, I'll say two things about that. One, um, my tune has changed over time. When I first found this stuff, it was everything I talked about. for Like, you know, the next year, it was like, oh, yeah. and I was ready to condemn everybody. Like, oh, you're not living it? Well, you must not be saved. You must not be saved. And I was like, man, I mean, I was just gung-ho about it, and my tune has changed over time. There's a patience that's come with that, but uh, I, I think as well, this is where there's a brilliance in Jesus's economy of the church. That when you see someone in sin, that that call Matthew 18 to go to them, you say. But then there's that that step where it says if they don't repent, they go and you go to somebody else. When you come back, that's that concept of with two or three witnesses, where you're you're now going because you may find that you come back and the person's like wait, you know, you go to this other person, I, I confronted them on this, I feel like this is, and they're like, uh, you're, no, actually, you're the one, right? There's this amazing balance that comes be, with being a part of a body of believers, right? I think that becomes really, really more important because we're not called ultimately to figure it all out on our own. We're called to do this in the scope of Christ and his church.
1: There's a difference between confronting and condemning.
0: Yes. That's a really dangerous word to get confused. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He
1: didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Yes. But sin is still sin. And mm-hmm. my sin of selfishness is just as bad as the sin of murder mm-hmm. in God's eyes. We're all guilty of all sin. Therefore, we're all sin and fall short of the glory of God.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that right there is like telling... Like, it's easy mm-hmm. the point, look at, all oh, these are bad, bad, bad sins. But yeah. what are the small sins in my life that are just as bad as those sins?
0: Which is why I liked what you said about here, but then starting to realize, oh, wait a minute. Yeah,
1: So yeah. I think the important thing is, is that, like you said, we need to pray. Mm-hmm. We, do that we need to yeah. pray, and God's going to share, He's going to speak through us. Instead of us looking and seeing where, where we should step in, mm-hmm. God's going to direct us where to step in. That's the first thing to do, not go and say, hey, you're going to hell.
0: Yeah. In in fact, uh, maybe this is why this just popped in my head and then I'm going to dismiss because my dad's giving me the evil look. Maybe this is why James goes back to, what's the very next topic, James chapter 3? What's he start off with again? The mouth. (laughs) Right? Is it any coincidence then that okay, I've given you this really important truthful thought, now let's go back to how you're going to administer it with your mouth, right? Uh, so we'll be praying. I asked Paul to, he volunteered, but then I asked him again today to talk, hit the next next chunk of James chapter three so he gets to talk about the tongue. Maybe he'll use his golden tongue like he talked about earlier. No, that wasn't you, that was, okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much again for this day and I just ask God that um, you would continue to bless us through this morning. I ask that you would help us to rightfully uh, understand and administer the truths that you give us. Lord, help us to have wisdom and patience in in dealing those things out. And Lord, I pray that you begin preparing our hearts for next week as we talk about the taming of the tongue. Lord, help us to look forward to hearing how that operates in this economy that you've given to us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.